Hello and welcome to the Schooner Pod. I'm your host, Bobby Howard. With me, we got Jameson, we got Ty, and folks, it finally happened. The Oklahoma Sooners, who have been stumbling all season long, finally got delivered their knockout punch uh, by the Baylor Bears in a 27-14 loss. Um, overall, just uh, just a sloppy, sloppy performance off a of bye week, and um, well, the season has changed, so we have a lot to talk about. Um, Jameson, what have you been doing to cope with, uh, this loss, uh, in the 24 hours since it's happened? Everything's fresh. We, we are recording this on, uh, Sunday afternoon, uh, around 11, so it hasn't even been 24 hours yet. But, uh, Jameson, what have you, what have you been doing to cope? Yeah, I, I told y'all in our group text that I absolutely chose a dangerous path after the loss. I was quite frustrated with everything, and I still had a cabinet that I had to make from a manual. And it was a really dangerous decision to do that because if one thing would have went wrong, I would have broke the whole thing. But luckily, <laughs> I only put one thing on backwards. So everything was okay. But other than that, you know, I took a break. I, I'm kind of disappointed I missed, you know, the Kansas-Texas thing. That would have helped to cope. But I took a break from football um, after the cabinet. And I don't know. It's kind of nice. I'm kind of just glazed over now, to be honest with you. I, I Man, I totally get that. It, I, I love how how dangerous it is to be like, yeah, right after this, let's just go straight into the cabinet. Can't get any worse. Uh, I love it. <laughs> Ty, Ty, what have you been up to since uh, the loss? Yeah. So I'm trying to backtrack, uh, you know, I've been coping pretty well since the loss. I went to my, uh, my local gas station, um, uh, and they had the last, uh, case of carb October fest for the season. Uh, so I went, I went ahead and grabbed that. Uh, which I'll stretch out because that is my favorite beer. No free sponsorships, but uh, that's my favorite just beer of all time. Um, just for like drinking. Uh, As opposed for like cooking and, with or like chili. Yeah. Well, I mean like, yeah, just for like casual, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. And then let's see. How could I forget? You heard it here first. Kansas hit their win over. They did it against Texas. Kansas <laughs> beat Texas in football. So that's got to be, you know, a little bit of a, a little bit of a bright moment because that was just, for me, just Kansas losing to Texas again, and then the fact that Kansas finally hit their their over on the wins uh, that doesn't count for our records, but that was a major, you know, I sort of given up hope on on my Jayhawks, but thankfully that a uh, chain smoking Jayhawk helmet uh, got the win for him. And then, uh, yeah, this morning, kind of a lazy morning, watched uh, the better part of the Spy Kids movie, uh, which is just great. It's such a great movie. Um, and now we're doing this. So, yeah. The true classic, uh, Spy Kids. Um, yeah, no, that the <laughs> the football group uh, chat we had where everyone was just saying random things about the Jayhawk on that helmet uh, really helped the drive home. Uh, me and friend of the pod, Thomas, uh, drove straight back from Waco. Uh only making one stop at uh, the legendary check stop uh, was the only stop we made. Uh, so it was um, it was a tough drive home. Uh, and then, you know, just kind of watch Kansas do their thing. But once once that schadenfreude wore off, uh, yeah, you woke up this morning and you're just like, well, damn, we, we lost a game. So let, let's break into it. Um, Jameson, if you, if you had to circle one singular thing, is is it even possible to circle one thing that went wrong? 
No, you just circle everything. What did go right? Honestly, just quickly breaking down quarterback, atrocious. Offensive line, I guess the pass protection was okay. Run protection, ridiculous. Run game, nothing. Wide receivers can't get open. Uh, And when they did, they dropped the ball. Of course. And then when you move the defensive line, same old crap where Perrion Winfrey's got his finger up his arse. Um, Sorry if that's that's not PC for the pod. (laughs) I I, I I appreciate you using the term arse. (laughs) <laughs> Brian Asamoah played well. That's a, that's a positive. And then defensive backs, uh, Roy Manning, I guess, tarnished Key Lawrence. But and that's just a quick, quick autopsy um, because there's not too much to say that was right other than pass protection and Brian Asamoah. I mean, the, the, the defense had its flaws, but I, I feel like it, when the dam finally broke in that fourth quarter, it was – it was just due to the fact that they had to do everything. Um, the offense was completely anemic. Uh, they gave up 300 going. rushing yards. I, yeah, I mean, the yeah, defense, okay, they point. did good enough in the first half to keep it close. But the amount of, okay, the quarterback runs on first down was three drives in a row of 20-plus yards um, by Gary Bahannon. And it was the same play, you know, pretty much every time. Obviously a different formation, but it was just a QB read where nobody picks up the quarterback and nobody sets the edge. He runs right off the middle, 20-plus yards. And when you start off a drive like that and you're having to play from behind the whole time and they're already on their side of the 50, you know, like like what, what do you want to do? It's tough for the defense. And then you come out on offense and they, they get, have a quick three and out, don't do much. And then there you go, there's the defense again. And they're just going to keep ground and pound on the run game. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it was ridiculous. Uh, Ty, your frustrations. Uh, yeah. Like I like I kind of said on the, the preview pod, um, you know, I brought up that why are we giving up more than usual of these big runs, you know, and that was that was something that, that we saw uh, yesterday or, or I guess two days ago uh, for when this releases. Uh, the offense is really – I had a lot of what I was sort of yelling at the TV, just like schematic things. Like why do we keep running these, these plays? We sort of had that thing where um, whenever we did, which was very rarely, uh, run plays, you know – of five to 10 yards when it, when it comes to like routes and stuff, we did pretty well. And then we were just constantly trying to throw, you know, longer passes, 12 plus yards uh, on almost every route was, was sort of, those were the closest routes. And then guys just going deep, like all the time. And our receivers just did not play well. Um, I don't know if it was defensive on, on Baylor's part or, or what, but like you touched on Bobby, so many dropped passes as well it just seemed like everyone was was off uh and just dropping things that that should have been caught and then you know that forces caleb williams as a as a true freshman to go and start to have to force things and, and everything else because he is still you know no matter what talent is there you know he's not he's not developed to you know a, a good point yet and that's just that's just how it is and and he'll get there but when you have your receivers, you know, not performing, then things are going to have to uh, have to uh, get forced sometimes, and and those went the wrong way. So that was a that was a major thing. And then running again, we had very few. I think Brooks had thirteen carries. I think we had like twenty or less uh, sort of designed runs. Uh, if you if you take out the quarterback stuff, because you know that can be sort of optional, but we didn't really. We didn't really run it again, and that was a that was a big thing. Baylor ran the ball, and and the team that is more successful at running the ball uh, carried the day 
is is really the the story here. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. It, uh, Baylor completely controlled this game uh, on both ends of the of the field. Offensively, they got what they wanted, um, but the de- the defense would come up with like kind of these weird clutch plays that kind of would reverse any sort of momentum Baylor had, um, and just. Yeah, just just in general, it it was it was it was just brutal on defense. The, the amount of times that they had had Bohannon or uh, uh, Abram in the backfield, just like completely dead to rights, and they couldn't couldn't close them out, couldn't finish them out, and they scramble out for a three yard gain. That that was the thing that frustrated me the most. Is is there were times that they just had them and they just they, they let them go. Um, fin- tackling atrocious. Uh, Alex Grinch men- mentioned this in his post game. We shouldn't be talking about tackling in November. Um, We've been talking about the whole damn season. I, I know exactly. It, it was especially bad. It was particularly yeah. bad. Um, and it it's like the defense they they looked better than they had all year. They had a lot of mistakes. Obviously, they they were disastrous in the fourth. But you know, it it, it, it just. You, you can't, you can't have an offensive performance like that and expect to win seven points uh, outside of that garbage time Caleb Williams drive. Which where was the urgency all game on that? Uh, they looked, they looked excellent in that last drive, but the the urgency was just atrocious. Um, and defensively, it, it just they they just got completely carved. Yeah. Well, and another thing too is. <clears throat> I don't think the score necessarily indicates. I know when you go back into the stats, uh, it's it's pretty bad tackling, and, and there's not a whole lot to to praise. But defensively, we weren't that bad. You know, we had them we had them at ten up until the the fourth quarter. You know, and and I think what is it? Six of their points were were off of field goals. We're trying to understand is is also kind of on on the defense, but you know when you only score 14 points no matter how good your defense is you can't necessarily expect to to win and that's yeah that's just how it how it is and you know part of that issue is uh you know the defense just not being able to close things out too when you look at the the time of possession constantly uh OU constantly with the time of possession Baylor had it for 35-19 we had it for 24-41 so the defense just not being able to get people off the field, even on times where they didn't end up with a score, which a lot of missed field goals uh, in this game. And I, I mean, I feel like a lot of that time of possession was the offense couldn't put a drive together. James yeah. and- which Well, I also think is a schematic thing too, right? It's like yeah. when we're going out and we're just going three deep shots in a row and going three and out in 20 seconds, uh, you know, if you're going to go three and out either way, I know we're never planning on going three and out, but if you're going to go three and out either way, Maybe we should run the ball a little bit, use some clock just to give our defense some rest, you know? Yeah, our but the thing is our running game was also just not happening. We are not getting holes for um, our running backs to go up, up, and we have seen that for the past couple weeks. But one thing that I feel like the announcers were really critiquing a lot, and obviously a lot of the fans have, is the deep shots on first down. We saw it way too much. And I don't know what Lincoln Riley has seen this season to see from his wide receivers that – a deep shots are a way for us to win football games. We've had one and a half probably games this season where we did well at the deep ball. And that was Texas where we see Texas doesn't even matter. And then Texas tech who that Texas tech team that we played was not the same team that we saw this weekend um, play Iowa state. Texas tech's defense was not good. And we were just getting whatever we wanted. 
the whole rest of it is we have not been able to get our guys open and wide receivers. I've been saying that for a long time. Jane Hazelwood can't get open. He just he can't. He does not have the quickness and the route running that he used to have to get there. All he is is just a, a you know a back shoulder passer or go up there and get there guy. And that's the only reason he got any yards because it was that last slop drive where he went up in double coverage and broke a tackle. Other than that, nothing. That's not a wide receiver one, Ty. I know we've been talking about that the whole season. If you, if you can't catch the ball because you can't get open, you're not a wide receiver one. Marvin Mims just disappears as well. He should be a deep threat, but of what happens to him throughout the game, the only wide receiver that I think on this team that has the route running and quick uh, quickness ability to get open is Mike Woods. And we saw that plenty throughout the game where he was a master of getting the 13-yard catches. And would be like it was this sigh of relief as an OU fan when Mike Woods would catch those passes. Like, thank God we got a first down. When have we ever felt like that before? Uh, it's it's ridiculous. You know, the amount of times we went three and out, insane. And, you know, the receiving core, massive, massive liability uh, in this game. Mike Woods was the only receiver with more than two receptions all game long. He, he had four. But he wasn't, he wasn't the only one. Uh, Stoops had, just off the top of my head, four Stoops targets. Well, he had four targets, though. One that he, one that he caught, and two of them were pretty bad uh, drops. Mm-hmm. One of them, I, it was on the defense. Just off the one, top of my head, and then like yeah. Jay, like uh, like Jameson hit on Hazelwood, had a lot more targets. Uh, you know, some of them were on the quarterback, but uh, some of them were on him as well. He just can't get open. None of our wide receivers are running open. It's it's extremely frustrating because as a freshman quarterback going against a really good coach in Dave Aranda, and we can bring up the stats like how he's played us in this past three opponents. You know, that was going all through Twitter. 322 yards he held us to in the college football playoffs, which was atrocious. And then last year he held us to 269 yards and held us to 260 yards today. He has the, like the serum to beat us, obviously. Every single time we play Aranda, his defense plays phenomenal versus us. But it just doesn't help, like, like we've been saying, whenever nobody can get open the wide receiver and our running back can't, get, can't go up the middle. Caleb Williams is going to be at his best whenever we can get a couple yards at the beginning of the drive to where the quarterback run can get us the first down, but at the same time he can move around and make a big play by extending the play and moving throughout the pocket. And if you're at second down each um, each time, then you're in this dilemma of should I run the ball for two yards, three yards, which we pretty much could get, and then we're stuck at third and seven, or are we going to pass it again? And that's just not the way to play with Caleb Williams. I think the deep shot should be extinguished honestly, for the most part from our offense and be more focused on, you know, shorter routes, more of like the Josh Hypo bubble screens that we haven't seen much um, in this current offense and trying to let, you know, guys like Mario Williams or Mike Woods try to get more touches. Well, the amount of times, the, like the, just the middle of the field were wide open that just completely, we, we, we just, we didn't have any guys in there um, because the thing is the pass, the pass protection was pretty good, but you know, no one can get open when you just – your only option is fling it deep. you, you got to have more guys to just check down to. And I think that's kind of where, you know, losing Stogner as a hyper-effective piece this season has uh, really hurt OU. Yeah, and, and that's what I was – personnel-wise, too. I, we don't necessarily have the, the personnel, even if they were, you know, getting open. Uh, obviously, if you're open, you're open. But um, – we, we have short guys, more or less, in, in terms of, of receivers. You know, we, we've got a pretty small crew that with Stoops being, you know, uh, very short for a receiver. Um, I, I 
forget his uh, Mario Williams being uh, pretty short, and then even our our taller receivers uh, for the most part are, are right around the the six foot, which is not necessarily tall for a for a college receiver. And that's where, like Jamison said, those sort of bubble screens or, or shorter passes and stuff not necessarily an issue there, especially because they're really fast dudes. They're really agile dudes that can can make cuts quick and and spread the field out. But, you know, sometimes when they're in not great coverage, but the dude covering them is four or five inches taller, uh, it makes it significantly harder to throw those, those deep balls, which should be something that you're not looking at all the time. Like it seemed like every set of downs, there was at least one, usually two uh, deep balls, depending on how you're going to define those. Um, shots and that's something that even with Lincoln Riley traditionally go back a couple years that was something that wasn't all the time it was you know it would come up every like seven to tenth pass play uh because you know draw you and draw you and draw you and throw deep draw you and draw you and throw deep and now we're just trying to it it almost seems like he's uh like (laughs) at the uh at the roulette tables or at the casino and like losing and then just doubling down more and more to hedge his losses Cause it's like, we go out there on first down, like you said, we take a deep shot. It doesn't work. And then we're like, okay, well, we'll just go take a deeper shot now and, and see if that works. And then that doesn't work. And then we're on third and long and now we have to take a deep shot. So we're just constantly, you know, doubling our bets to try to hedge uh, for things we were losing. And it's, it's not working. The, the worst is like deep shot on first down. And then we run like a little weird little draw play on second. And then we are like, well, it's, Third and eight, like James was fooling, saying. You're not fooling anyone on third and long. No, like, it, it, we, we just get put into these very predictable third and, like like you said, third and long predicaments where it's it, it, it just, it, it's frustrating because it, it never feels like we just have like a third and two. Um, and it's just, I, I, I don't know. There the, were the play calling is so frustrating. With. Yeah, that like, game, like you said, Caleb Williams should be a quarterback that should absolutely thrive on third and two. Um, you know, we could run the ball as Kennedy Brooks. He's very good at getting that extra yard and breaking tackles. And Caleb Williams is an extreme threat. You know, if we're going to do a design quarterback run or a read option, or that, that is absolutely deadly territory for him. So we should be trying to get in those situations. You know, and like I said, the deep ball is just not our thing. Football fans, who's ready to score some free bets? Now you can when you bet on any NFL game this week with DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers who bet just $1 on either team to score can win $100 in free bets. So when either team scores, you score. Of course, if Sportsbook is not yet available in your state, DraftKings will not leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN, bet $1 on either team to score, and win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score with promo code TPPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. But I feel like we'd be remiss to not talk about the substitution of Spencer Rattler if we're talking about the offense into this. 
and I, I, I want I want to hear y'all's thought process first, and I have a kind of an um, a different angle on how to take it. Um, but I want to hear y'all's thought process on um, obviously the horrible decision it was. I here's my thing. I I think it was a garbage decision. Um, well, mainly because it's in retrospect, but. Um, I think there are situations where Spencer Rattler can thrive and do a good job in this offense, but he's not the type of guy who can electrify and take you all the way back. Um, you know, like, like Caleb Williams, when, when, when they put in Williams at, at Texas, it was a, a, something that electrified the offense. It, 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 it energized the entire team. When they put in Spencer here, it felt like a panic move immediately. Um, and it's, it's, it, from the get go, you, you could tell, it was very the, the 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 feeling was very bad. Uh, of course, you know maybe we're talking differently if they call pass interference on that uh, first just massive bomb he had. But um, the issue that is classically underthrown Spencer Rattler deep ball that we had forgotten <laughs> about. That like the dude has zero arm power. Well, I'm just saying he it, it should have been a, well one it should have been a catch two is pi. Um, but you know it. Look, oh, you had plenty more issues than just that. Uh, so it 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 was a very bad decision because he's not as dynamic as Caleb. I think you trust your guy to get out of there, especially because you're only down three. Um, it, it it didn't work at all, and uh, it it just it, it sucked. I I I think it was kind of a crap position to put Rattler in because that's just not that's not his um, that's not his zone. That's not how he uh, he really operates. How does he operate? I think he's a pretty good game controller. You know, it, being it, freaking soft, and if he gets tucked in the backfield, he just falls down. Never got actually sacked. He just tripped over his own feet when some a hand touched him. But yeah, Ty, Ty, tell me your thoughts on this, and then I'll, I'll yeah. end with my thoughts on it. So I think it, I think a lot of people look at it. Well, a lot of people look at it this way too. Uh, a lot of people are going to look at it from the player angle, which I think is not necessarily as relevant here it's it's a coaching thing and it's it's it, not only the fact that we put him in but then that we put williams back in later because I, you know there was the whole debate and i'm sure it's ongoing and, and i'm sure it will continue to be ongoing through the week of williams's hand uh after getting stepped on there was a whole like oh he's hurt or whatever i i'm sure it hurt but he was clearly not uh injured by that he I mean he went back out there and threw a, a really nice completion the play right after and I understand you know you have adrenaline and stuff but then he went off and, and did a couple more sets uh before he was swapped out and it he his hand really was not was not injured um I, I would be very surprised if, if it was because it didn't affect his play the, his play before getting stepped on and then his play after uh he had some of his better plays after um but it's you can't you can't just constantly keep changing it because it felt like it felt like at one point when we got the fourth quarter touchdown that, okay, we have the energy. We could win this game, but there was just no time because we had spent so much time just swapping back and forth and, and not, you know, deciding what to do. It felt like a, a group project where you have let's say four weeks to do it. And we spent three, three and a half of the four weeks just trying to argue between the group who's going to do what. And then we had half a week to cram the project down. And, and that's sort of the, the more common equivalent to this quarterback situation in my mind. Like you, if we, if we put Spencer in, which we did, 
I think it, cause we lost either way. I think 100% Williams should not have touched the field again, period. The, the, the second you I put agree. Spencer in, you make that decision. You have to stick to your decision mm-hmm. that you make as a coach. Cause you can't, yep. cause that, that translates over to so many other things. Like it's whether people are conscious of it or not, you cannot look like wishy-washy as, as a leader like that. And that was just, that's not good. It also just looks so weak. Um, you, instantly, uh, like Baylor's entire crowd lit up because they knew they had us because they knew we were desperate. They yeah, knew we we were on our back foot and panicking, and you, you, there was blood in the water, right? Which, there. if it is an injury thing, completely different scenario. Which, it, which it wasn't. Yeah, but if if Williams did have a hurt hand, tried to play through it, couldn't, needed to come off, get a rest, and then come back in. That makes total sense. That's that's a very reasonable use case. That's not what was happening here, uh, which is why I expect that sort of storyline to live on, uh, because it's it's the ultimate you know cop out for what was ultimately uh, not poor coaching, just poor you know that's fundamental leadership stuff. You, you got to stick to your decision. Yeah, and Jameson, I know you're ripping in a roar and ready to go with your uh, <laughs> alternate take with this. Yeah, so I want to assess the the injury versus hurt thing first with the hand because um i think that you made a good point ty because there's a key key difference between being injured and hurt and you hear this all the time like if you played sports you like you fall down and and you're hurt you feel pain but are you injured to the point where you are unable to play caleb williams was hurting there's no doubt about it whenever your throwing hand gets hit like that and you have that kind of trauma there's going to be pain happening but he was not injured he could play through it there was a key moment where I knew that he was not hurting that bad to where he would still be able to be functional. Whenever someone came up to him on the sidelines after one of his injuries, I mean, one of his um, interceptions and they gave him a, a knock out in this is a key decision. Whenever you have a pulsating right hand that you don't want to do anything with, or if you really hurt a finger or something like that, you are going to use your left hand to knock them because <laughs> it is just in your brain that you don't want to use your hurt hand. And he, no thought, went straight with his right hand and knocked him without any kind of hesitancy. So obviously there was not an injury there. There might have been some hurt and pain, but there was no injury. But my thing with it is I think Lincoln Riley was desperate. He saw the writing on the wall. He saw Caleb Williams was not performing before this um, hand thing and after it. And he made an extreme high-level risk. He said the way that Caleb Williams and the way that we're playing in this offense right now, I don't know if we can keep up with Baylor's offense because we have been bailed out a lot already by turnovers and poor Gary Bohannon mistakes. And I don't think we can outplay them the way we have our offense right now. So I'm going to make an extreme risk by putting out Spencer Rowley because all that matters is if we win this game. Um, I know this might hurt Caleb Williams' development, but Spencer Rattler at least going to throw out something different to where we could have a slight chance to win this game. And it blew up in his face, and he did not get the win. And that's why he's going to deserve a lot of the bad, you know, flack that he's going to get for this decision. But in all honesty, I kind of somewhat respect him for trying something different because it was an extreme risk that if it would have worked out, we would be very, very happy about it. And we were like, I'm glad he didn't just keep on beating the dead horse and we just kind of fell off. But obviously it didn't work. And now we're going to use the argument. What 
we should not uh, deviate from our freshman quarterback and show him that his leash is not as loose and he's not our number one guy no matter what now. It is tight, and if you screw up just a little bit, Spencer's breathing down your neck, which is never a good situation. It was a huge, huge risk, huge risk, but Lincoln Riley decided I'd rather try to win a game more so than um, – and take the risk of hurting my quarterback culture. I, I just think it's a bad idea to not – I, I think it stunted his development because as a freshman, as a developing quarterback, you have to work through those tough situations. You have to dig dig deep and go to that next level and you know figure out what you're supposed to do when you throw two interceptions on the road. Um, this was his first real road game uh, of the season because I don't count the Kansas game where they were literally giving people free access to try to fill the stands. That's not the same type of environment. This was a raucous environment uh, for sure. Um and, you know, honestly, it, I, I, I don't know. I, I, think, I think the best way to let a young player grow is to just kind of be like, hey, go for it. That's up. I, you have, I completely you have to, you have to agree. dig your way out. But, but the thing is, how much do you care about in the current when you're 9-0 of letting your player grow? You know, that is a future-oriented goal rather than a present-oriented goal where Lincoln Riley is a very smart offensive coach where he sees the writing on the wall and he's like, I don't know if we're going to win this game. Um, with Caleb Williams the way he's playing at quarterback right now. Yes, he could dig deep and, you know, pull himself out of it. But trying something different is why we won the Texas game. Yeah, I, I just think it's too late to make that decision in that game, in the third, you know, late part of the third quarter. Um, you know, when, when he made the decision against Texas, you know, there was still plenty of time to, you know, establish uh, Caleb or put Spencer back in. Just as when he made that decision to pull Spencer Rattler and put in Tanner Mordecai in the other Texas game, there was a lot of time where he could put Spencer back in and reestablish that. I, I just feel like it was just a little too late to do that. Um, there was only it was only a couple minute difference between you know the this current Texas game you know with it being the beginning of the third quarter versus we put in Spencer what in the middle of the third it was like late third it was late like it was like almost fourth quarter okay yeah Um, I'm more with Jamison here I I don't hate the the Spencer decision at all it's it's uh it was a bold you know nothing was working Bold change. I think it could have worked. I think had we stuck with Spencer, our chances of winning would be greater. I, I, yeah. I think that the the swap back to Williams is was the timing issue. I, it, you got to make a decision and, and stick with it. You know, you can't you can't make a, a big you know decision and then and then go and, and uh, back down from it. That that that's what makes it bad. I I think putting in Spencer was a huge risk. And whenever he came in, like I said, he the dude was so soft. The man, any kind of touch to him, he just falls down. There was one play. It was like third and like eight, maybe. And he had rolled out of the pocket to the left side. He had debated a rusher. And the le- and the right end had come off and like stuck out his hand. Didn't trip Spencer Rattler. Just kind of nudged him a little bit. And Spencer fell on his own. That was a play where I immediately I said, this was a mistake because Caleb Williams would not have fallen down to that contact. Caleb Williams does really well at breaking through contact. I would not, I want to disclaim that I would not have put in Spencer Rattler. Like I agree. I would have kept um, Caleb in and let him fight through it, but I want to put in the different mindset because the whole thing that all of OU fans have been talking about is this is a horrible decision because this kills the future of Caleb Williams. But Lincoln was thinking in the present. He was thinking, what can I do to become 10 and 0 rather than become 9 and 1? 
So I just want to put that out there. And I understand that I'm probably going to get a lot of, you know, bad flack for this, but I, I see what he was thinking. And sometimes making huge, huge risk is what you've got to do to end up in the position to win it all in the end. And if you don't make huge risk and stand pat, a lot of the times you get caught with your pants down. And I'll say this, I don't disagree with making a huge risk that might, you know, affect you down the line. I, 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 I'm not worried about Caleb Williams, you know, being, um, you know, upset with this and it hurting his psyche. I, I just thought it was a poor decision. Um, I, 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 I agree with the, with the, with the mindset that you make that decision, you make whatever decision you, you make in that game to try to win the game. It's about winning that game. It's not about next year. Um, and I, I, I will I just, I just don't think it was the right call. Um, and I, yeah, I, I'm with you as well on that one. Yeah. Just, we'll, just to we'll, clarify. Yeah, sorry. yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, just to clarify before we move on, cause I'm, I'm sort of out of, out of points on this one. I, I do also number one thing we should have kept Williams in here. I, yeah. I don't mm-hmm. agree with, with putting Spencer in, but it's, yeah. we found a way to make it worse by putting Williams back in. It's sort of the, yes. the uh, meat of my point. That is absolutely the biggest point. What was your initial reaction in the stadium, Bobby, um, when Spencer Rattler came trotting out? Well, we 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 saw him warm up, warming up. We you could tell mm-hmm. because he took his little white hat off. Um, <laughs> he took his because we where, where I was sitting in um, I was sitting in that OU corner uh, next to the Baylor line and everything. So we had a really good um, we had a really good view of the OU sideline. Uh, we were right over the little tunnel where they would come in and out. Um, and you could instantly tell, you know, we took takes a little hat off and starts throwing her, uh, throwing seriously is uh, the term that Thomas used next to me, because before he just kind of tossing her around like it was nothing, but when he started like really truly warming up, uh, you could you could kind of tell it 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 when he was warming up, Caleb was kind of walking around at the other end of the sideline, um, he just had that vibe. Then he popped in with fifty five seconds left in the third and. Um, yeah, it, it just uh, – I don't uh, – I think initially everyone, you know, was kind of nervous. Uh, but the reaction was strong, I think. I, I, it was very supportive. A lot of let's go Spencer chants, you know, because honestly, like, at that point, you just want to back your guy. Um, and if Spencer's your guy, he's your guy. Uh, even if it's not the right decision, you don't boo him. Um, but there was there was no – there was no, like – People didn't want Spencer in there. I, it wasn't like there, there was a "We want Spencer" chant going on. That's total BS. That was the Baylor line all the way. Um, it was it was more of a oh oh god. I guess they're putting in Spencer now. Uh, mm-hmm. That was basically the vibe around the entire OU section. Yeah, me. It was like I I'm, I don't know about this, but I'm gonna wait and see. I, I will we'll see about this. I, I applaud the risk, but I'm, I'm I was on the fence about it. But yeah. I, I think that that kind of covers it. We've kind of hit the thing there. And I, I, I obviously understand the way that I was saying is going to be the minority of thinkers. The majority of people are in Bobby's boat. But I just wanted to put that thought process out there. And it's kind of – I saw what Lincoln Riley was thinking. But I, I say let's pivot to the defense. We've been talking a lot about the offense and their inability. Um, but let's talk about the defense. And I think – I told you all coming into this game that my biggest thing was I wanted to watch cornerbacks and see if Key Lawrence was going to be for real. And – I guess Roy Manning just finally got – he's like, oh, Key Lawrence, you're away from the safeties. You're now with me. Let me put my horrible, like, mantra on you, and you're going to become horrible now. Key Lawrence, 
first of all, uh, that touchdown throw by Gary Bohan on the left side where uh, there was not a double move, but Key Lawrence bit at the run or something and then turned and then gave up on the play was horrible. That's obviously a play from a guy that hasn't played enough cornerback snaps. Um, He's very talented, but obviously he has not had much practice nor, you know, given much of technique as a cornerback. And that shows um, Woody Washington didn't play as many snaps um, probably to cover that up, but it's nice to see him back. Um, What did y'all see from the defensive backs overall? Yeah, that Key Lawrence thing happened. That play happened right in front of me, and it was just uh, atrocious, just atrocious. Um, and Lawrence kind of returned, regressed back to the mean a bit, which is a bummer because I, I really thought his trajectory was going up. But, you know, that's that's just how it works with some of these players. Uh, Woody, I, I actually really liked Woody in the limited minutes we saw him. Uh, obviously, a lot of that's because of, um, because of health. Uh, and just kind of getting back in football shape, getting back in a rhythm. But I liked what I saw out of Woody. Um, other than that, uh, just... DJ Graham got burned a whole lot. Graham well, not... did get burnt a lot. He did have that excellent play where he punched the ball out, which, you know, yeah. good, good job but, of recovery. But Gary Bohannon was so unable to make throws throughout this game. With his, his accuracy was miserable. Bohannon's there were too many deep balls. He's not a great thrower. He was only 12... It was what twelve for twenty one. Um, they they mm-hmm. won this game in the short in the in the short field, um, mm-hmm. and then they had that massive run from Abram Smith to kick off the fourth. Uh, and you know that's that's just the thing is, is is Baylor is still a very limited team. I I, I feel more about that than I did before, uh, offensively. Um, but man, they 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 were very well equipped to take out OU today or yesterday. Time yeah, time. I think. I think it, it comes down to when we're looking at, at the defense, which obviously inherently is going to imply some talk of, of the Baylor offense. Um, I think it ultimately, same as the other side of the ball, it, it comes down to coaching for me. I think we were, we were out coached and out schemed in this game. I, I don't Definitely. necessarily, you, you can talk about the, the individual matchups, which um, are of course very important, but it, at the end of the day, even if our individual pieces are better, Baylor better use their pieces uh, against our pieces. And um, I do feel like the, the defensive backs specifically like Bobby touched on. And, and I was, I was saying to y'all during the game, um, it was Gary Bohan. And, and I said this before, I said this when I thought we were going to win. Um, so I'm not trying to be a, a sore loser, but Gary Bohan, and you could make a fair argument that he was the, uh, the defensive MVP for, for OU. Cause this, this game would have been a lot worse if he could throw to, uh, to wide open receivers. Cause there were a couple, uh, two at least that, that hang on into my mind, uh, just wide open touchdowns that, uh, were just atrociously thrown for no reason, like no real pressure, no, had his feet set, had everything wide open dude and just couldn't throw it to him. So I, I think the, the defensive backs, I think they played around their average for the season, like like you said, Bobby. Uh, sort of a regression to the mean. They were they were pretty average for for what they've been, but uh, it could have been a lot worse, and and it was it was bad. What what got me with the defense, and this also applies to basically every aspect of um, the team, is they were completely out aggressed. Um, the, their, the aggression was obviously on Baylor's side, and it's something one of their players, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, uh, said in his post press conference where he said, we, we made it a point this week to be the more violent team. And 
you know, they were, they were more aggressive and you have to come out there and have that edge. And OU just didn't. And, um, you know, when you're playing a team who, you know, they're kind of an underdog, you know, it, it, if you have Baylor in Oklahoma, it, it, Baylor's always kind of going to have that little bit of a, you know, chip on their shoulder, that underdog mentality, just because of, you know, the, the pedigree of the two programs. Um, OU will always kind of be, uh, a, you know, they, they always have a target on their back. That's what, that's what, you know, the success they've had. That's what moving to the SEC, that's what all of that does. And because of that, you have to expect everyone's best shot. And that includes, you know, just the other team out aggressing you. And you have to be able to match that aggression. You have to be able to ma- match that passion. You have to be able to match that energy. And Oklahoma did none of that. Um, mm-hmm. Defensively was where it really, really showed, though. Um, the amount of times they... Uh, didn't finish uh, tackles. They didn't, uh, you know, blow by blocks in terms of uh, just aggressively kind of pushing back against it. Um, It it was just absent today or yesterday. Yeah, definitely. Um, There was, there was a lot of things to be disappointed in with this defense. Um, I thought we were a little bit better on getting them off the field on third down. Um, I'll say that as a positive thing, but, there were way too many times where they were getting way they were getting first downs off of first and second down more often than in the past. OU is a team that we just get worked on third downs and teams run the clock on us. This was a little bit of a different style of game that we have been used to been disappointed in as OU fans. Um, so that's absolutely concerning as well because back in you know in the past and earlier in the season, whenever we saw us continuously not being able to get off the field on third down and fourth down. Um, my optimistic side of me was like, okay, great. Um, if we can just finish, if we can just, you know, wrap up on tackles and not have these lapses of judgment, our defense can be okay. But whenever we play a competent top 15 team for the first time this season, um, we just got worked on all um, three levels of the defense. So absolutely concerning moving on for the rest of the season, especially with le- next week. I know Iowa State had a bad loss versus Texas Tech. But that is an offense that can act very similar to the way Baylor just did, you know, with one of the best running backs in the country. And we can make fun of Brock Purdy, but he is a guy who can make plays as well. Yeah, he, he actually did some, make a couple of those plays in that Tech game. They did storm back and, you know, had a really good game. My thing is, OU couldn't capitalize off the Baylor mistakes and the successes of the defense. Um, the amount of times we would have turnover on downs or a missed field goal or you know, pick them off. You know that Osamoa fumble as well. Th- these are these are the times where you counter. You can't. You you have to take advantage of these moments on the road. Um, that's how you win ball games on the road. And you know, letting those go to waste. That you know you can't do that for for after so long. It's just going to bottom out. Um, and that Baylor momentum is just going to come through. And it. it it's frustrating, and it's something we've kind of seen all year: is just failure to capitalize on the other uh, other team's mistakes. Um, and that you know, this game could have easily been won. Um, and we also have to focus on uh, that. That comes down to kicking as well. Uh, unfortunately, Gabe Burkich looked like garbage, missed two field goals. Not the easiest field goals in the world, but they're field goals that are makeable for Burkich. The forty-yarder was a tough one to miss because that's that's money. 40 yeah. yards is easy. 40, 40 yards is doable for Burkett. He, he missed some, and, you know, the game the game might change on that. You know, that that 
missing field goals, that's a that's a momentum swing the other way. It, it it's just it's infuriating um, because it was there. It was just right. It was right there. Yeah. Yeah, and it, so I do want to say something something that both of you guys sort of touched on that that ties into to something that I've been uh, thinking was uh, one of the reasons I for me I'm, I'm sure this is a very fringe sort of uh, minority opinion uh, amongst OU fans, but I don't necessarily feel that bad about this loss because it kind of feels to me uh, I'm I'm walking away from it you know 24 hours later. And I feel a lot like I did after Tulane and after West Virginia and after uh, Kansas even and, and Nebraska to an extent. It it doesn't, you know, I, I feel like it was the same team that we saw against Tulane that they came out there today, even with, you know, Williams in. And we did sort of the same stuff. We, we have the same talking points, really, if you if you were to go back to the to – the, uh, the uh, past pods, you know, we're, we're constantly saying the same things and it's not like our coaching staff and our players don't also see these things. You know, if they were easy things to fix, they would have been fixed. Like no one is choosing to, to, you know, be, well, maybe we're choosing to continue to throw the deep ball. I I think that's a pretty simple fix, but um, it doesn't like, I know it's our first loss of the season, but I, this OU team, I think maybe we were, were propped up on a, uh, a house of cards, I guess. I can't think of a good a- analogy, but you know, we we could very well um, be a four or five loss team right now, easily. Oh, easily. Yeah. If That's if you, you know, just there was a lot of chance and, and just sort of luck that, that got us to this uh, nine and zero point coming into this game. So it's not like we were making a you know crazy championship run and then we we dropped it to to Baylor and just looked terrible we looked exactly the same as we have all season and, and Baylor's had all season with a good coach to uh, to prepare for that and, and sort of came out and and gave us their their best punch I mean I think it's frustrating I, I I'm personally pretty frustrated because I I thought they'd turn it around I feel like OU teams in the past have had mistakes have you know, had flaws, but they've turned it around. They figured it out, and it it looked like they were starting to come into their own uh, against it, an admittedly very bad Texas Tech team. But with Caleb Williams and everything, it looked like it was pivoting that way. They were still undefeated, um, but no, it, it, I I think it's just this team is what it is because they refuse to make changes. Um, and it, until you make those changes, until you have the coaches who will speak reality to you and tell you, Hey, look, you guys are sucking right now. Um, instead of saying, you know, winning is hard and you know, we're close, we're close, but not actually making any changes. Uh, and just, just thinking they'll break through. Um, that's, you know, that's how you, you don't change. That's how you don't evolve. That's how you lose in the exact same manner that you've been struggling, you know, where the other team controls the pace of the game um, the offense is shoddy. It's just, it, it, it is all in mentality, um, to a T and the, the inability to look reality in the face and face hard truths, which is something this team that just has not been able to do at all this season. Um, and you know, that's what gets you beat is the inability to look within yourself and be like, Hey, look, we got to make changes because nothing has changed other than Caleb Williams uh, being the quarterback. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I feel like we'd be remiss not to talk a little bit about our front seven before we kind of finish this off. I can give a couple LVPs out, I guess, on the front seven. I already mentioned 
uh, Brian Asimov, but every single podcast I bring it up and I already did it a little bit. Perry on Winfrey, I'm about to, I, I'm, I'm, I want to give myself a purposeful aneurysm in my brain just to relieve the pain of having to watch Perry on Winfrey bull rush every single time with his head down, not even know where he's going and just completely screw over this team every single time. He has no purpose at all. Every single time he gets onto that field, all he cares about is the stupid center guard in front of him. Bull rushes, does not know where the play is, and the only times he makes any plays is if the running back falls into his little bull rush. He's miserable, and I cannot stand his play anymore. He does not have the fight nor any kind of effort um, that we need as a defensive tackle with his skill set. So I'm just going to say that because it's pissing me off so much and then on the on the linebacker position you know if anything you know they played well um but brian osimo was our one you know one great player but david uguaybu he had six tackles but there are a couple of moments that i saw from him that he was missing gaps and not going taking right angles which if we want to talk about defense man we are just the masters of taking the wrong angles um but Front seven was very disappointing. I think Nick Benito had a decent game too. But other than that, I I just wanted to just bitch about Perry on Winfrey, to be honest. Hey, you can talk shit though, apparently. Uh, it, and pushes people and acts like he's some kind of – he's get, he was legitimately – there was one play I saw where he was like jarring off and like was speaking like, you know, like talking crap to somebody – and Jalen Redmond legitimately, like, everyone was calm, and it was just him talking. Jalen Redmond put his hand on him. He was like, dude, stop. I'm trying to hear the play. It's like, I don't know what you're doing. Like, Perion is just completely – he's miserable because the, the backup options at nose guard obviously have not shown to be game changers. They are just kind of plugs. Um, and Perion can be a game changer. Like, I've said this whole year, this is a guy who's been projected that can be a day two NFL draft kind of guy just because of his testing numbers and what he has shown to be. But in this last year, we had seen a lot of the times that he was a guy that would get in the backfield, but once he gets in the backfield, he couldn't finish plays. Now he's just not even getting in the backfield. So if you can't finish plays and can't get in the backfield, what are you doing? I don't know, man. Um, But we'd also be remiss if we didn't talk about uh, the injury to Caleb Kelly as well. Uh, Went down with what is apparently an ACL injury. Um and that will finish his career at Oklahoma. Uh, just a truly just awful way to see his OU career wrapped, wrap up, given the amount of injuries and everything. It w- would have been nice to see him finish the season. Um, but, yeah, uh, not the best. I, I, I wouldn't say he's the best Sooner on field, but he was absolutely one of the best ambassadors for this team. Um, at, in terms of a, a sooner all across the board, he fits every single metric of just, you know, quality individual, incredible leadership in the locker room. Um, and look, he's, he's a lock for the Don key award for sure. I'll, I'll say that. Um, he played He actually had a good game too on Saturday. He made a couple of good plays He did for, and, for, for what he, what you expect from him, obviously, you know, he hasn't been too productive the whole season, but he made a couple of good plays on the edge. Yeah. And I, I don't know if it was uh, decently apparent or not on TV, but he got a really good stand to go um, when he was walking into the locker room. Uh, so he, he, he at least got, um, you know, one last... He, he, he was applauded off the field. So um, mm-hmm. tough, tough uh, stuff there. Uh, just, you know, a little salt in the wound um, for Caleb Kelly. But, yeah. 
before before we end this podcast, I, I think um, obviously we can talk a little very quickly about Iowa State too. But I think just very quickly, just a couple minutes each on our journey for the rest of the season. And I want it to be put out there that OU still has a journey to get to the playoffs. And I know some people are of the belief, and I kind of want to hear what y'all's thoughts are on this. We've talked about this before, but we could just say it again. Of With this team right now, would you rather all go full in, try to get a playoff spot, even though we see a lot of weaknesses, or have something close to last year where we go to a near six bowl and have a really big win versus Florida? What, what do you guys – I'll start, Ty. What do you really see from the rest of the season, and what do you kind of want from the rest of the season? Yeah, so I'm glad you brought this up because this is kind of how I wanted to to segue to. So um, – and I started to jump into it a, a little early, started to jump my gut. But um, another one of the reasons why I don't feel too bad after this loss is there is a potential that we get a rematch in this game, um, which – no matter what you're feeling about the playoffs or you don't want to go to the playoffs or whatever, um, if we were to get a chance and then avenge this loss in, in the playoff or in the, in the conference championship, um, that's a really good storyline as well. Um, so regardless, I think regardless of where you sit on, on the playoffs, that's what you, uh, that's what you want, I think is to do is you want to, you want to get that chance to play this team again and uh, and knock them out in the conference championship. That would be the the ultimate thing that that we could do, sort of like the Kyler Murray uh, Texas year, um, or I guess Kyler Murray's only year as as the starting QB at, at OU. So that's I think a, still a likely thing on the table. I, I would have to do the the uh, sit down. I think Oklahoma State is still the more likely one, uh, but we will we'll see how that pans out. And you know we might not even be in it. So who knows. Um, but that, that's an important thing to consider, and, and that would be a, a neat storyline. Um, so I think that's plausible. I, I think it's plausible that we still go to and, and win the conference. Um, in terms of the playoff, I'm kind of split because you don't ever want to you know, back down from that challenge. I think that this is a great year uh, for us to at least make a good showing of ourselves uh, or you know, just making it to the, the national championship. I, I don't think anyone is going to beat – uh, Georgia this year, uh, but we'll see, you know, anything is, anything is possible. Um, not trying to make a joke. I, OU would beat Cincinnati. Um, and the other potential teams, you know, are, are very flawed, just like OU, you know, Oregon, um, if, if they're a potential team, very flawed, Ohio state, another potential team, not, you know, not the giant that they have traditionally been. So, there are a lot of a lot of teams I think that are in sort of the same boat as as OU. You know, Oregon's coming in atrocious loss to Stanford. Ohio State has lost to someone. Um, oh, Oregon. Uh, so that's that's another thing. So I, as much as I would enjoy, you know, OU nine and one or OU one loss, avenged our loss to Baylor, going and playing, you know, like we were talking about this morning, Ole Miss and the Sugar Bowl would be great. I think that'd be a pretty even matchup, fun storylines and, and everything else. Uh, I don't want to back down from that that playoff thing. I don't think we're we're knocked out, especially if we get that uh, uh, revenge win and, and really turn things around. Uh, because ultimately, it takes a, a, a loss to reinforce you know that things are a bad habit. We've been doing these bad habits all season, but we've been winning. We've really needed a loss to to show us, hey, you you need to change. So I know we're at week like twelve or something. It's a little late for this, but 
hopefully maybe this is the one that turns us around and we really do start to click. Yeah, I, I, I do not think the playoff is out of play yet. Uh, and I'm not trying to be like unreasonable. It just there's a lot of football left to be played. Um, whether or not OU is capable of winning out, that's a whole other question, a whole other story. Um, unfortunately, the Baylor revenge game is is likely not possible unless OSU loses at Texas Tech this weekend. Uh, the tiebreakers just wouldn't, because Baylor has two conference losses, it wouldn't shake out um, in OU's favor, or in Baylor's favor if OU wins out, or in OU's favor, uh, obviously, if they lose to OSU. Um so Baylor's path to the to the Big Twelve championship is a little messy, um, for sure. Uh, but yeah, no. Um, look, Oregon goes down. They've been susceptible all season long. That's a possibility. They play a really good Utah team uh, th- this weekend. Cincinnati still has to play Houston. They could fall. Um, I think you need Cincy to lose, and then uh, you'll need Alabama to be out of the picture. Uh, two SEC teams likely bump so you out for sure. So that leaves, um, I think, the Big Ten champ is pretty much a lock, assuming they don't have two losses. I don't. That would take a lot of losing, uh, because you have you know one loss Michigan, one loss Ohio State, and one loss Michigan State still, you know, floating around in the picture. One of those teams is gonna get out of here unscathed, I think. Um, but you know, OU coming in as a four seed, going to Miami and playing Georgia. Um, that's not a great situation in terms of winning, but I, my look, my my stance, it, it has been and will always be. You want to be in a position to win the national championship, and if you're still if you're in the playoff, you can do it. You could. You, you, it is one of the few situations in college football where you can literally win your way into winning a national championship, where nothing else matters other than the results on the field. Um, and even though we would be ex- the Sooners would be extreme long shots at taking out Georgia, they wouldn't win. They, this would be an LSU situation, I think. I, I think that's how good Georgia is. Uh, you still want to be you want to be on that field because it that's the only that that the the possibility, even as slim as it is, uh, of pulling off a win and you know continuing a national championship run. You take that one thousand percent over not having a chance at winning a national championship every single day of the week. Um, And it's possible. The Sooners need help, though. It's no longer in their hands at all. Uh, One-loss OU has not been omitted from the playoffs uh, yet in history, so history's on our side. We know madness will happen. Uh, they got to look out for Notre Dame as well, who's still chilling here with one loss and has, like, a bad uh, Stanford still left left on their schedule. They don't have... They don't play anyone really. They don't have to deal with conference championships. I'm not so. worried about Notre Dame. I love, I love how the playoff uh, seeds are just entirely in Stanford's hands. Yeah, Stanford, yeah, Stanford destroyer of dreams. Um, I don't know. I, I would be a little worried about Notre. Pardon me, Notre Dame, because that loss Mm-mm. to Cincinnati is not bad. No conference, no conference championship, no chance. Whenever you're up one loss versus other people, it's they it just no. Yeah. I, well, and you I have because the the committee convenes after that, so you have that issue of Notre Dame is not recent in people's minds either. You know, you think about how easy storylines are forgotten with a bye week. They essentially have a bye week coming in, whereas everyone else will presumably have a very recent game. And I think the biggest thing too, also with OU as well, is this Baylor loss isn't bad at all. This is a good like we we joke about quality losses, but like that's not that's not a bad loss. Um, uh, the timing is bad. 
but if this happened week three, it, no one would no one would give a shit. No one would be saying OU is out of the playoff in week three. Uh, so, you know, it it's frustrating. But you know, this isn't this isn't like some like pitiful like Kansas State tier loss that we've we've seen in the past. This isn't Iowa mm-hmm. State the Baker Mayfield year. This is just uh, we lost to a, a really good opponent on the road. And we have some stuff to fix. And you know, it, look, if they somehow beat up, if they run the table, they'll be. That's a damn good team. They have some. I I don't know how they would how they will do it, but psh, I don't know. I'll take. If, it. Yeah, if they run the table, the way Oklahoma State played versus TCU, I understand TCU is not the best team, but what they showed um, shows that they are no joke. And beating them is an accomplishment. But we need a little bit of style points or some help. I personally think that if we win with some style points, we can get in over Cincinnati, but we still will need help. I think an Oregon or an Ohio State loss is what you'd need um, for for us to get into that slot. And um, Oregon, like you said, is very there's a very good chance that um, they, play some, they play some good t- teams, and the way they've been playing recently has not been stellar. So I think there is a decent chance that they lose. Um, the problem is it's, we got to handle our own business first and then we'll worry about all that stuff later, but it's always just fun to talk about because all hope is not lost. I've seen some articles and some posts saying like, you know, um, OU doesn't have a chance at the playoffs. Are you kidding me? We just lost to a top 15 team and there is plenty of one loss teams all over the country right now. We just need some style points in these next couple games. We just got to handle our own business. Um, and it's going to be a fun thing to watch um very curious how to see we play versus iowa state next week i guess we can segue right into that do a very quick iowa state preview because there's really not too much to say other than what we saw versus them the texas tech game um they still have good skill receivers um you know skill players around brock purdy the thing is their defense is shown to be very very flawed and that should be a great time for us to rebound as a team in oklahoma who struggled a lot to move the ball um, as an offense, and that is our identity. And whenever you cannot lean back on your identity, everything seems like it goes to crap. And going against an Iowa State defense, and I understood we said this last week, whenever Baylor just got waxed by TCU's offense, it'll be nice if we can play well versus their defense. Now, if we don't, we have a huge, huge problem on our hands. And there's a lot more than just skill players and scheme and play calling. It's a whole, the whole thing's probably fraud. Yeah, Iowa State's uh, defense has regressed, and you know the Cyclones have probably been the most disappointing team in the country. Uh, I would say uh, up there, they're definitely up there. Six and four was not something I saw coming at all. Um, they're all, they, they have the same record as Texas Tech. That's really ridiculous. But they're not. They are not Texas Tech. In fact, if you think that they're going to like just kind of roll over and be bad, you're completely wrong because they, they still have. Um, that setup that's given OU trouble in the past. They have great receivers like Xavier Hutchinson, Charlie Kohler, uh, and then Brees Hall, you know, pretty good running back, uh, of course. You know, he hasn't been the same Brees Hall that we've known, but he's still Brees Hall. Let's be honest. Iowa State, they're probably going to give us our best shot because let's be every single team OU plays, plays their best game against us. Um, Brock Purdy is uh, whatever. He's pretty all right. Um and you know, look, this is this is a chance for the defense to really step up and show themselves, uh, because this is going to be a really tough task. Uh, Iowa State is, it, it, they're they're going to be tricky. Yeah, I think I think, um, like you said, it, it's 
it's an Iowa State team with a lot of familiar names. Brock Purdy, I think, is about 37 years old at this point. He's been playing there for for forever. Um, the best quarterback to ever come out of the state of Arizona, I will say, uh, hands down, certainly the best quarterback from Arizona that we'll, we'll see uh, next weekend, uh, unless you count Kyler Murray as an Arizona person because he lives there now. Um, Brees Hall, again, uh, not super crazy, but someone that OU is going to make look um, – Amazing. So that's that's something to to consider. And and like you talked about, uh, Iowa State and and Matt Campbell specifically have sort of found our, our number. Or they have they have the recipe to to give us a really big challenge. And I, I constantly uh, it's constantly brought up my my comment from last year, which I made about more teams than just Iowa State. Um, is the whole video game NPC thing, and and that oh, that comment that comment was based on the fact that in past years, Iowa State executed everything really well. And even if they weren't the favorites coming into the game, they were going to hold you accountable on the field for every mistake that you made, and it was your game to lose. I think that that is not the Iowa State of this year because they are not executing uh, really well like they traditionally have done. So I, I think they're not video game NPCs this year in the fact that they've regressed. And now it's not a team where... OU has to come in and play one of its better games of the year. I think this OU team probably needs to play one of its better games of the year uh, because we need to win and we need to win convincingly. But um, this is not the sort of scary Iowa State uh, in terms of of upset alert that we've had traditionally because they've been very successful against us uh, in recent years. So uh, there are a lot of things that that I'm concerned about. I think this one could go either way. Iowa State being six and four, like I talked about uh, briefly earlier, OU is only a handful of points and some lucky situations away from also being six and four this year. So I think this is a more even matchup uh, than we've seen, uh, or than it may seem. But I think that this one should be it should be easy for OU to carry the day if we can just execute and care about the game. I think also Iowa State is – people need to notice this. They're abysmal outside of Ames. Um, their only two road wins are UNLV, who, uh, if you listen to the weekend spreads, uh, just got their second win of the year this weekend. Shout out to uh, me and Bowden Blake for cashing that Tathan bet um, over one and a half wins. Uh, so they, they beat UNLV on the road, and then they beat uh, Kansas State and Farmageddon. But um, – they have some really disappointing road losses. Uh, West Virginia, not a good team. Texas Tech, not a good team. Even though they're excited because they they have uh, uh, they, they they got you know Coach Joey out there you know yelling at him and firing him up. Which, by the way, I'd like to say on record on the podcast, that's a good hire. I like the guy. I want to run through a wall for him already, and I'm not even a Texas Tech fan. Um, and then obviously they lost to Baylor, which was a more disappointing loss at the time than it was that it is now. Uh, but this team just doesn't play the same outside of Ames. You know, the, the, the quality of drinking water just isn't the same outside of Ames. Uh, and I think that really affects them. Oh, Lake Thunderbird water. Isn't that the good one, too? <laughs> that, look, honestly, if the Lake Thunderbird water, if the water theory was correct, they would be horrible in Norman because of the Thunderbird water. <laughs> yeah, but um, all in all for this game, I mean... I kind of want to get you all's thought process on this. Uh, what is like the big thing you're looking for from this game? Because like we said already um, versus Baylor, 
there wasn't a lot that was going right. There might have been two or three nuggets I could have said positive, and one of those being Turk. Um, but the biggest thing I think, and we've been saying it the whole season, I usually say the biggest thing I'm looking at is the, the defense. And if they can handle I, I now I just need to see the offense. I need to see a pulse of a um, powerful offensive attack at all three levels. And I would love to see the wide receivers have a good game in the passing attack. Um, I understand a rushing attack has been a little bit weak recently, but what is Oklahoma without a passing attack? And it just felt weird watching the Baylor game. So I, if we struggle to pass the ball again, I don't know what our identity is on offense. Ty. Yeah. It's sort of the opposite. I run the damn ball. I, I, I want more just purposeful designed runs um, because I know that our receivers can perform uh, well. And one of the things that's going to help them perform well is if they're not having to run deep routes literally every time they touch the field. You know, they're, they're, we're basically sending them out there and uh, just making them run suicides back and forth for, for the entire game. So if we would just run a little bit more, that would help us with the time of possession um, and, and help us with just everything on the offense, I believe. It, it, even if it's, you know, one, two yards play, I think it'll still help us. Um, but I think the main thing I want to see outside of that is just our players caring about the uh, the game. I, I want to see our guys go out there like, you know, we remember Baker Mayfield doing or like Drake Stoops usually does. It, guys that just want to be out there, they want to play for Oklahoma, and they care about the game, and they're not coming in just trying to coast through and and do whatever and, and float through, which is what I, I saw against Baylor and what we've seen a lot of the time. So if it's our last game in Norman uh, of the season, hopefully there's some storyline there, there's some hype, and our players come out, coming off a loss, and, and really come to, to show up. Yeah, I I think I'm look. I think we're all looking for the same thing. We're looking for a pulse, a heartbeat, um, because a loss like last week is it, it, it's the time to it, it's a pivotal moment. You could, it, it reminds me very similarly of like the 2011 team who you know tripped up against I believe it might have been Texas A and M or no they they tripped up early and then just let everything spiral out of control. Or no, they, they, it was Texas Tech. Lost to Texas Tech. Everything kind of spiraled out of control after that, and you know they they went from a you know top three to a number three team to playing in the Insight Bowl against Iowa. Um, and this is that moment. You know, teams are defined with how they re- like respond after a loss, uh, and this team is no exception. Um, they're going to have to show up, play decisive football. Uh, offensively, we have to be sharp. Um, I, I want to see. I want to see better play calling. I want to see better execution. I want to see passion, energy. Um, I want. I, I, I want to see this. This offense look like it did against Texas Tech. Like it did at its like best moments. Um, defensively as well. I want to. See, I want to see that. You know the the good things against Baylor carry over. Uh, continue that momentum. It, it, it's got to be. It's got to be a complete performance. We haven't had one all season. Um, mm-hmm. and this is, this is the time to figure it the hell out or this team is just, they're just another footprint, another, you know, random, uh, group, random schedule plastered up on uh, the wall in the Mont uh, that just will be forgotten about. Um, and you know, got a winner. There's no big 12 title. It's over. If you lose again, uh, Baylor has our, has the uh, tiebreaker against us head to head. Um, 
as the only other two-loss team, OSU is not losing to Texas Tech. So you got to win out. That's that's just that's that's the mission now. It's about winning a Big Twelve championship. It's about winning the game in front of you. Um, I know I'm getting into random coach speak here, but uh, that's that's kind of what it boils down to. Just 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 have a good damn performance uh, and get the win and move on to Bedlam. Yeah, I think we just need to treat this like we're zero and zero right now. We're just trying to go one and zero this week. We're just going to give out our full effort. You know, just want to go out and execute. Um, <laughs> Just, no go. one's catching on. I'm just. I, I, I'm just I did. I did. <laughs> I, I. I. You know, team. You know, I think I've aged you well. <laughs> yeah. So other much. than that, there's really not too much to say about Iowa State. Other than we, we, you guys know the players that are on there. You know, Brees Hall. We got to watch. Make sure they don't run over us, like we saw in Baylor. You know, and Xavier Hutchinson is a monster, and he's going to be a problem. A guy like you know, Tyquan Thornton had a good game versus us last week. We saw Azikonma over Texas Tech have a good game versus us. Uh, that's a, you know this is Xavier Hutchinson's guy is going to have a similar game like that and he's going to have some big plays. I doubt there he's going to go touchdownless this game. He's going to get a touchdown. Yeah, and, and I, I gotta say that I think the biggest challenge is uh, trying to find a way to get as drunk as possible before 11 a.m. It's difficult. You got to start early. You got to make sure you, you you have your plans in place. Uh, it, it's tough, but you know I, I think we can do this, folks. Mm-hmm. So, it, you guys got anything else to say other than? Um, Good luck. Uh, Brock Purdy sucks. He's garbage. Uh, Iowa State fans come at me. Bush Light is uh, nothing but watered down crap. Uh, your chili sucks. Your town sucks. Uh, I hate you and your tacky. Your black uniforms yeah. look very lame. You're, you're basically just an Iowa State like or an Iowa clone, uh, except for the fact you can't uh, you can't beat yourself. So there you go. Uh, and that's the schooner pod. I would. I would. <laughs> try to trash talk Iowa State fans, but I just find it very unlikely that any Iowa State fans sat through an hour-long just sadness recap of the Baylor loss <laughs> to get to the what we do about 10 minutes of Iowa State. So. My favorite complaint from last year was they're like, they only talked about how they lost to Kansas State and didn't preview the game. And I'm like, well... Yeah, we lost the game. Yeah. Like, of course we're going to talk good. about that. I hope I hope they listen again because fool you twice, shame on you. That's what <laughs> I have to say to Iowa State. Fans. Exactly. Your your favorite hockey, your your favorite uh vodka brand is named after, you know, your rival, so screw you. Shout out Hawkeye Vodka. It's actually pretty good for $12. Um anyways, <laughs> that's all we got for this Jameson has just walked off. J- Jameson has 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 left the building. I, I'm back. Sorry, the dogs were absolutely going crazy. They That's all good. That out. Well, we got NFL to watch um, and fantasy teams to have let down. So we're going to wrap this one up. Uh, thank you all so much for uh, listening. And Ty, Jameson, thanks for popping on uh, on a rare Sunday morning uh, chat uh, where we were able to voice our disappointment. It was actually pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll see y'all um, on Wednesday night. Or we'll go through the picks. And there, it's another fun week of football. So um, make sure you guys listen to that. Um, d- make sure you uh, leave a review on our podcast. We've been saying that every once in a while. Uh, but leave reviews on us. Give us um, five stars because we've been growing pretty decently in the podcast. And if you've been listening to this and haven't done that, help us kind of kind of go up the ranks of OU Football Podcast on um the Apple podcast page because that does hold clout. And when people are looking for a new podcast to listen to, the more people that review it, 
the better it makes us look and the more new listeners we get. So definitely go do that. I love that we decided to include that on the one where we just ripped Iowa State fans. The the, the like one fan <laughs> the one fan base that always listens to us for some reason. And leaves reviews. And leaves reviews and gets all mad on Twitter. Good because uh, we'll Iowa them. State fans you didn't hear that. <laughs> We'll we, we weren't serious, we promise. We were doing it facetiously. It's a bit. We. It's a bit. And let's be honest, it wouldn't be OU week without listening. It's apparently a tradition at this point for you all to listen to the Scooter Pod and get mad about it, because we're disrespecting the clones. Uh, so, yeah. I feel like you know, we didn't disrespect them too much other than Bobby's little rant just he, saying everything wrong. Yeah, when we intentionally started disrespecting them. But yeah, that's like part of the uh, bit. Yeah. I almost forgot, and then I'm literally I'm gonna log off. Uh, Matt Campbell <laughs> is not a coward. Just to clarify, uh, he was a coward for not going to the NFL when he could because he knew that he was garbage and didn't want to get exposed. But now he's just remained long enough to be exposed as not that good of a coach. So no longer a coward because everyone just knows that he's not good. Oh my god. Okay. All right, folks. That has been the Schooner Pod presented by the Pigskin Podcast Network. Uh, we will see you on Wednesday. Break down our picks. Have a good weekend, everyone. It's it's Sunday. <laughs> Don't, have a good week. We'll and see you're all, releasing uh, this on Monday. We're releasing this on Monday. Have a good week. We'll see you for the uh, for picks with uh, Boat and Blake. Uh, Boomer Sooner, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs>